0: God, this morning, I'm just so, um, Lord, just, uh, just overjoyed to be uh, with um, Grace Hill this morning and just so thankful for this church and this group of people that you're building and growing together here uh, in Herndon. Um, Lord, I love worshiping with them and learning from your word together. And Lord, I pray this morning as we spend time studying your word Lord, that you would remind every one of us about the significance of what we're doing. That we are opening up your word, your words to us, your revelation of who you are and how you created us and how you call us to live. And so, Lord, I just pray that as we read this, as we consider how it applies to our life, that, Lord, we would just have some humility and we would sit underneath your word and And submit ourselves to the truth that it gives us. And Lord, I pray that we would do that, especially as we address this morning a a sensitive and frankly politically loaded topic today. Give us humility, Lord, to submit ourselves to your word. And not only what it says, but what it tells us to do. We love you, Lord, and we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, So this morning, um, we're going to be doing another installment uh, in a sermon series that we've been doing for a long time called This Cultural Moment. Uh, Every once in a while, we just take a pause in whatever we're doing as far as sermon series go, and we do another part of this series. And the point of this series is to take a topic that our culture is talking about, or issues that our culture is talking about. And if God's word has something to say about it, then we want to study what God's word says and apply it to this topic. And so if our culture is is having a dialogue about an issue and God's word addresses it, we want to make sure that we understand what God's word says so we can sit underneath that. We can submit ourselves ourselves to what it has to say because we believe that it is God and his word that helps us to understand what is true and what is not true. It's God's word that tells us what is right and what is wrong, what is good and bad. And so this Tuesday, two days from now, it's going to be January 22nd and that means that it will be the 46th anniversary of the landmark Supreme Court decision Roe versus Wade that guaranteed under federal law the right to abortion in our country. Obviously, the topic of abortion is one that our culture has been yelling at each other for for decades, and this fight in our culture has only gotten more intense and ugly and, quite frankly, unproductive through the years. And I believe this is a topic that certainly falls into that category of something that our culture is wrestling with and that God's word addresses. God's word has something to say about it. In fact, God's word is crystal clear about this topic. And as not only is God's word clear about the morality of the, the practice of abortion, it's also clear on the role that the church is called to play in a world where abortion exists and that's really what I want to discuss this morning is what is our role and so this morning my goal is to be the messenger that communicates the word of God I'm not interested in partisan platforms or talking points most of you know me I really have no allegiances I don't have any allegiance to a politician or a party I'm not interested in what cable news says or even pop culture I'm interested in what God's word has to say to us this morning and how that might change the way that we live. So to start, here's what I want to do. I want to take the topic of abortion, and let's just set it on the shelf over here for just a second. Because what I want to do is is I want to establish for all of us a foundational truth that is given to us uh, throughout the entire Bible. And so we need to understand this truth. We need to make sure we're all understanding what the Bible is trying to say. And then once we do that, once we establish that truth and we're all on the same page, then let's, let's go back over to our shelf. Let's grab this topic of abortion and say, okay, what does this truth say about this thing that we call abortion? So we're going to do that first. So, so here's the truth that I want us to have a foundational truth that we need to start with, and that's this. God has designed us as our creator. So he created our minds and our hearts. God has designed us, he's programmed us with the instinct that human life is precious and sacred. Right? Uh, So think about it this way. If you were walking along the side of the road and you saw a guy sitting on a bench stomping on ants. You wouldn't think anything of it, probably. You'd probably just walk by. Now, let's say you're walking by the side of the road, and you saw a guy stomping on a puppy. Now, that would be disturbing. You, maybe you would yell at him. Maybe you'd call the police to get him to stop. But if you, guy, you saw a guy stomping on a child, you would put yourself in harm's way to stop him. Right, You would act because instinctually you value human life more than any other kind of life. You would act to stop what was going on. Because this is how God has designed us. He has put this idea that human life is valuable and sacred and worth defending inside of us. And and God's word says this um, in Genesis chapter 9 verses 5 to 7. I want you to see this. God is talking to Noah, you know, from Noah's Ark, and he's explaining to Noah the value of human life. Look, look at what he says in Genesis chapter 9, verses 5 to 7. This is God speaking. God says, I will require a penalty for your lifeblood, so for your life. I will require it from any animal and from any human. If someone murders a fellow human... I will require that person's life. Whoever sheds human blood by humans, his blood will be shed. For God made humans in his image. But you, so Noah, you, be fruitful and multiply. Create life. Reproduce. Spread out over the earth and multiply on it. So God's command to Noah after the flood is to be fruitful and multiply, create life, reproduce. And God values human life so much that he attaches a predetermined judgment when it comes to taking a human life in our own hands. God has told us to reproduce life and he's warned us against taking life. And so the reason that God values human life so much that we see here in Genesis 9, the reason why he's caused us instinctually to value human life is because he says God made humans in his own image. So what this means is that humans, man, they're the pinnacle of God's creation. They're the crown jewel of God's creation. It's the thing in his creation he is most proud of. And all humans belong to God. Because he's created them in their image. So when uh, I was, I think, 22 years old, I was doing my first ministry internship at a church. And so I was living with another family. And this family owned three Porsches. Now, every once in a while, they would ask me to drive them to the airport in one of their Porsches. So I said, sure, why not? (laughs) So they, they trusted me to drive them. Now, I will never own a car that expensive. I just know that I've accepted that. So when I drove their Porsches, how did I drive them? Well, to be honest, I was was careful. I took every precaution to make sure I drove those cars responsibly, right? Did I want to open those things up on the beltway? Of course I wanted to do that. But I didn't do it because these cars were valuable. And key, important factor here, they were not mine. They belong to someone else, and if I was careless with them, I would be held accountable. In the same way, all human life belongs to God, and God has assigned to each human life insurmountable worth and value. And he has said here in Genesis 9 that if we are careless with human life, then he, the one whom all of humanity belongs to, will hold us accountable. And so it's it's this truth right here that the value that the sanctity of human life that Christian love is anchored in. I want to talk to us for a second about Christian love. As Christians and followers of Jesus, we are called to love our neighbor. Right second greatest commandment, love your neighbor as yourself, to love every human that we encounter. And this is not a love that is expressed through just being nice to people. It's not a love that's expressed just through words. No, the, the Bible paints a picture for us of this love, this love that is anchored in the truth that all human beings have insurmountable worth. Right? So this is how Jesus explains Christian love to us. want you to see this in John chapter 15, verses 12 to 13. Jesus says this to his disciples to explain love to us. He says, this is my command, love one another as I have loved you. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to hear, the way that you're going to understand what love is, is model how I have loved you. Verse 13, how does Jesus love us? No one has greater love than this to lay down his life for his friends. Jesus is calling his followers to value the life of their neighbor more than their own life. That's Christian love. I value your life more than I value my own life. Right, to love is to be willing to lay down your life so others may live. Jesus is our example. He's the one who has done this for us. Because we were lost in our sin. I mean, Nick read this for us earlier in Titus. We were lost. We were under the judgment and the wrath of God, headed to a place where God was going to take our life away. But God's love is motivated. His love for us is motivated by the fact that we are made in his image, and he values our life the value that he assigns to us. And so Jesus is what God does. He sends Jesus, he becomes a man, and what does Jesus do? He lays down his life for us on the cross. He experiences the torture and the ridicule of the wrath of God in our place so that we may live, so we can have forgiveness and and not live life under the judgment of God, so that we can have eternal life, joyful life, That's true love. And so as those who have been given eternal life, we are free to love others in this world in the same way that Jesus loves us. Let me me say that again. As those who have been guaranteed eternal, joyful life, we are free in this life to lay our lives down to love others in the way that Jesus has loved us. This is true Christian love. We put others before ourselves because that's what Jesus did for us. We love others at our own expense. We, we serve, we give of our resources, we love our enemies, we open our homes, we listen, we care. We inconvenience ourselves for others. We love the unlovable Because that is exactly what Jesus did for us. And so this is why it's very important that we say this in a sermon on this topic. This is why any sort of abuse, disparagement, bullying, violence, slander, belittling, discrimination, name calling uh, of any human being for any reason is an assault on the image of God and is about as anti-Christian as one can get, right? All of that is seeking to tear another down, right? God hates that because we've been called to lay ourselves down. See, one cannot be, to use the political term pro-life and disparage others, just doesn't, doesn't click. You can't be pro-life and disparage those of a different race and ethnicity. You can't be pro-life and a gossip. You can't be pro-life and indifferent to the poor. You can't be pro-life and a jerk. One cannot be pro-life in word only, but it, it has to be in deed. Because we're talking about Christian love, that we value every human being so much that we are willing to lay our lives down so others may live. Okay, so, so this is the core fundamental truth I wanted us to, to have before we begin talking about abortion. The, the, the value, the sanctity of human life, and how that informs true Christian love. So with that, let's talk about how this might relate to the practice of abortion. What is the definition of abortion? The dictionary would define abortion as the deliberate termination of a human pregnancy. So deliberate, meaning other humans are making the conscious decision to terminate another human while in the womb. And before we analyze the morality of that, we should look at the research to discover what are the reasons that people report for getting abortions in our country. So... According to the the Gumacher Institute, I think I said that right, but that's the research wing of Planned Parenthood. These are the reasons that people report for getting an abortion. So according to their research, 25% of abortions in the United States were because the parents were not ready for a child or indicate that the timing was not correct. So let's just put this in perspective. There have been about 61 million abortions since, Planned Parent, I'm sorry, since Roe v. Wade was decided. So take the amount of Jews killed in the Holocaust and 10x that. That means 15.25 million children have been aborted because the parents were not ready for a child. 23% of abortions in the United States were because the parents were not financially ready. So 14 million or so children aborted due to financial reasons. of abortions in the United States were because the parents were already finished raising children. So that's 11.5 million children not with us because the parents were done or they indicated that they were finished child-rearing. 8% because the mom was not ready to be a single mom. 7% because the mom felt too young. 4% because it would interfere with educational or life plans. Another 7% due to health concerns to mom and or child. Less than 0.5% due to rape and incest. That number probably would be higher because we know that rape is a vastly underreported crime. Uh, the research indicates that the vast majority of abortions in our country are due to inconvenience and fear, not due to health or tragic circumstances like rape and incest. And so let me just say, before I go further, I'm not going to invalidate the feelings of a woman or two parents who are afraid. We're gonna talk about that in just a second. We're going there and we're not gonna invalidate them. So just hang on when it comes to that. But if we're brutally honest, if we are applying this truth of the value of human life and the ethic of Christian love, we must first concede that the act of abortion is the deliberate laying down of someone else's life, not the act of laying down our own life. The act of abortion is the opposite of what Christ has done for us and called us to do. Jesus came, he laid his life down so that we may have life, and he's called for us to do that for others. Abortion is the deliberate laying down of someone else's life so that I may live. Now, obviously, if everyone agreed that the fetus inside of the womb was a true human life that had inherent dignity and value, even inside the womb, at all stages of the pregnancy, if everyone agreed with that, then maybe what I just said wouldn't be as controversial. Usually the debate around abortion is not centered on if it's okay to terminate human life or not, but the debate is usually centered around, well, when does human life actually begin? When does a a child in the womb become a life that has value and, and rights to be defended? Historically, Christians have advocated that life begins at conception, the earliest stage of pregnancy. And While abortion advocates have argued that life begins at a later time, some even argue that life begins at birth. Now, this debate about when life begins has usually been argued using science, and as we become more advanced in our scientific knowledge, I I don't think science has been a good friend to the pro-abortion cause. But the Christian position that life begins at conception is also anchored in God's word And it's also anchored in moral philosophy. So I want to talk about that for a second. We've already looked at the scriptures and seen how God places insurmountable value in all human life as his image bearers. And the scriptures also speak of people in the womb as those inside the womb who have identity. Uh, People specifically created by God. People whom God loves. Uh, So an example of this, Psalm 139, 13, the psalmist says, for it was you, God, who created my inward parts. You knit me together in my mother's womb. Um, God says of the prophet Jeremiah in Jeremiah chapter one, verse five, this is what God says. He says, I chose you, Jeremiah, before I formed you in the womb. I set you apart before you were born. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. And so the scriptures are written with the assumption that human life and identity begins at conception. You could even argue before conception because God is creator. But here is why all people, even people who maybe don't accept the Bible, ought to live as if human life and dignity begins at conception. As we already said, everyone instinctually values human life more than anything else. We already established that. And if that is true, then we are morally obligated to act with extreme care and caution when it comes to human life. We call this the doctrine of carefulness. Let me explain this to you. So if I'm uh, running an errand and I take my son with me, And so I put my son in his car seat and I take extra precaution to make sure he is in that car seat, he's properly strapped in, it's tight, that that car seat is properly installed in my vehicle. And I start driving, and although I'm driving carefully, I get in an accident and my son is killed. Accident was not my fault. Would I be held responsible for the death of my son? I technically endangered him by bringing him in the car with me. We we know that there's always a risk of getting into a car accident. So my, my son, if that were to happen, would have been alive if he didn't come with me in the car. But even though he came with me, I took extra precaution to make sure he was properly strapped in, driving carefully. And so no, I would not be held responsible for his death because I was careful with his life. Now, let's say that one day I decided to leave a loaded gun on my coffee table where my son could reach it. And he went and grabbed it and fired it, and he was killed. Now, would I be held responsible for that? I have no desire to harm my son. I, I'm devastated at his dad that this happened. I love my son. There's no murderous intent inside of me. But yes, I would and should be prosecuted for that and put in jail and have a consequence because I was careless with my son's life. Even though I had no intent of harming him, I was careless by leaving a gun in a place where he could reach it. The doctrine of carefulness says that we value human life so much we must take every precaution to ensure we don't take human life away. We must err on the side of life beginning at conception because any other estimate as to when life begins is just that. It's an estimate. It's a guess and therefore it's careless. So yes, abortion is the deliberate laying down of the life of another human being so that I may live. And Jesus has called us to the opposite. To lay down our own lives so that others may live. And this is why we as Christians must oppose and fight the practice of abortion in our country. But before we move forward, I would like to mention that I know there are women in this room who have had an abortion. I know it. And I'm I'm not sure if there's a day that goes by that you don't feel just guilt and shame and horror. But you need to be reminded this morning and every day, you need to be reminded every day that Jesus loves you, not just in word, it's not just something you read in your Bible, but in deed that he came and laid his life down for you so that the judgment that we read in Genesis 9 would not come to you. He laid down his life so you could be forgiven for that day. There is grace and mercy for you. And the last thing that I want as we address this topic is for you to feel that you have to hide that part of your story out of fear of being judged. Yes, this is a sin that does need to be repented of, but it's also something you need to be healed of as well. And so I just wanted you to know that if, if because we're addressing this topic today and it is hard, if you need someone to pray with, to talk to, to process this with, then uh, Dan and Esperanza LeMay, they have volunteered to, to stand up here uh, afterwards if you'd like to talk with them. Or if you'd like to slip with them back to our prayer room to spend some time with them, uh, they're available to you. We're always available to you, any of us, if you need to process through this. I need to make that clear. But I'd like to spend the remainder of our time this morning talking about the role that we as a church can play in fighting the practice of abortion. And to do that, I think we need to be honest about something. I fear that the pro-life movement has become more about political power and victory and less about valuing and protecting life, I'm going to be honest. And maybe our pro-life efforts need to be taken beyond marches and voting and allegiance to one party, and we need to begin applying the ethic of Christian love that we already talked about. We need to begin applying this ethic of Christian love to the way that we fight abortion. This is something I'm really passionate about. As Christians, we are called to fight abortion with the ethic of Christian love, meaning we lay our lives down to fight this. I wanna be a part of a church filled with people who value each human life so much that everyone is willing to lay down their own lives so abortion isn't even an option. A church that is willing to step up and meet needs, open homes, open wallets, befriend moms who are scared, and lay down their lives so someone doesn't even consider this. This is where the fight is. We can pass legislation, and I'm for that, but it's not gonna change hearts. There's a passage in Mark chapter 10 I want us to, to see this morning. It's a great passage. and So if you go to Mark chapter 10, read this in a second. But this is, this is a passage where Jesus is talking to his disciples about this, the sacrifice that one makes to follow him in this world. But he also is talking about the gifts that one receives when we choose to make that sacrifice. Look at this in, in Mark chapter 10 verses 29 and 30. Jesus says this, uh, he says, truly I tell you, Jesus said, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for my sake and for the sake of the gospel who will not receive a hundred times more. Now, at this time, talking about today, houses, brothers and sisters, mothers and children and fields, with persecutions and eternal life in the age to come. So here's what this is. This is a promise from God that when someone sacrifices things in this world in order to follow Jesus, so I'm sacrificing family that maybe is against this or other relationships or money or property or whatever it is, uh, entering into persecution because I have chosen to follow Jesus. This is a sacrifice I'm making that that person is walking away from something they valued in the world but they are walking into something Jesus says that is even more valuable a community of brothers and sisters in Christ who are there for them right Jesus says this is something you will receive now and he is referring to the church the church is to be the remedy, the balm to our wounds from the sacrifices that we make in this world to follow Jesus. Following Jesus is not easy in our world. And so the church comes in and, and, and binds up our wounds when we do that. And Jesus says that this is a hundred times more the value of the things you're sacrificing in the world. So... so Let's take this passage and let's apply this to someone who might sacrifice because they choose to keep a child. So, a single mom is pregnant. She has no money or job. The father is bailed. She fears that bringing this child into the world will just end up in more suffering for her and the child. She's scared. She doesn't want to abort this baby, but what other option does she have in her mind? There's no way she can properly afford to raise a child. What kind of life can she give this baby? But let's say someone from a church has convinced this scared pregnant mom that God wants her to keep this child. Now, if that is the only involvement this church had, that's it. Guilting this mom into having the baby but not seeking to meet any need, is that pro-life? Is that soothing the wounds and the fears that this woman legitimately has? Maybe some say, well, she shouldn't have gotten pregnant in the first place. That was her fault. No, this is a child in the womb an image-bearer of God, a crown jewel of God's creation, and we are called to lay our lives down so this mom and child may live, regardless of mistakes, because we value life and church. Let's not forget, we are all about redemption. And so Mark 10 compels us as a church, not just to plead with this mom to have her baby, yes, let's do that, but to enter into that fear, to meet needs, to help her raise that child, to lay down our lives so they may live, to be a hundred times the value of what she's walking away from. The church has been willing to fight abortion in this country, but has the church been willing to be the fulfillment of Mark 10, to be prepared to be the remedy to the wounds that come from the sacrifice of following Jesus? Grace so I want us to fight abortion through true Christian love, laying down our lives to love and serve those who are considering aborting their child, to take their fears seriously, to be in the business of validating these women, not invalidating, not invalidating them with religious guilt, validating their fears, entering in. I want us to value every human life and be a part of building a culture of life in this town. And so to do that, I I have four practical ways that every one of us can begin to lay down our lives to fight abortion and build a culture of life around here. Four four practical ways. Here's the first one. Is we all need to be a, a good friend to our neighbors and those that we regularly encounter. I mean, it... It will be hard for us as a church to know how we can help meet needs in our community if we don't know the people outside of our church and position ourselves in such a way that they would let us know about the needs that are in the community and how we might be able to step in and, and help and serve and love. This happened to some good friends of, of Kim and I's. Uh, we had a couple who were really good friends of ours. They don't live around here anymore. But one day, the, the wife, over, over, over a long period of time, she... Um, became really good friends with her hairdresser. And one day her hairdresser let her know that she had gotten pregnant and she was considering having an abortion. And through many conversations, our friends were were pleading with her not to abort this child. And, And it came to a point where they formally offered to her to adopt that child into their house. So we will raise this child if you can. Now, the woman declined, and I'm not really sure whatever happened in that situation, but this is an example of being a good friend to someone and how that positioned our friends to to hear of this need and to love this person with true Christian love because they were willing to lay down their lives for that child. And so are we positioned in our community to hear about needs and to meet these needs? Here's number two. Consider becoming a foster parent, adoptive parent, or supporting a family who is. The foster care system in America is overloaded, and there are thousands of children waiting to have a home. This all feeds into a culture of abortion that we have in this country. This idea that if I have this child, what life are they going to have? It might be better just to abort. And so if the situation were flipped and we had more families and homes willing to bring in kids and we had kids waiting, then, then maybe parents opting for adoption rather than abortion might be more common. Listen, this, is, this statistic blows my mind. If one family out of every seven churches in America, so get that, one family out of every seven churches in America fostered a child, there's no more waiting children. This is something the church can solve. That's not exaggeration. And it, yeah, it it does mean inconveniencing your life. It it does mean laying down your life. But this is the essence of Christian love. My wife and I, we're we're foster parents for Fairfax County. We've adopted through Fairfax County as well. It's, It's hard, but I promise you, we can tell you, you will never regret doing it. Never. And so my wife is going to be at a table in the lobby afterwards with information about foster care and adoption in Fairfax County. If you're interested in talking to her and getting a brochure, we'd love to give you more information. Here's number three. practical way we can begin to love others, consider sponsoring a child through Compassion International. If you want to do something that's simple to provide profound impact to a child that's in poverty... Sponsor a child. This is a great way to begin to build a culture of life in your home. It's a great way to teach your kids to value life, to teach them to, hey, let's give up of some of the things that we have so that others may live. If you want to begin to create that, this is a really easy, simple step. Annie John, who's a part of our church, does work with Compassion. She's going to be in the lobby at a table with information if you're interested in doing that. And here's number four. Donate or or volunteer with Young Lives. Uh, Young Lives is an organization that we partner with at Grace Hill here in Herndon. Uh, They seek to minister to teen moms over at the high school. And so they minister to uh, these teens who've had uh, children and who are pregnant. And so they're looking for people to help. They need donations. They need baby clothes and strollers and cribs and all of this stuff. But what they also need is mentors. People who can befriend these young ladies, coach them, love them, encourage them, bind up their wounds, be Mark 10 for them. Man, this is a a very practical way that we can begin to meet meet the needs of young, vulnerable moms in our town and love them well. Laura Kane does work with Young Lives. She'll also be in the lobby at a table with information if you wanna talk to her about getting involved. These are four good places to start. All of them require sacrifice. All of them require laying down our lives for others. But that is how we are called to make an impact in this world. Through loving people as Jesus loved people by being the fulfilled promise of Mark 10. So allow me to close uh, this morning with some words from Scott Sauls, one of my favorite authors, and his book, Befriend. He says this, Wouldn't it be great if communities existed where any mother, married or unmarried, felt welcomed and loved and knew that her needs and the needs of her child would be attended to? If the church everywhere does what the church is called to do, then there will be no poor or disregarded or demeaned in our midst. In short, I favor building community and I, in dialogue that promotes a society where abortion due to the love ready to be given to any child and any mother is not merely illegal, but unthinkable. This is the way that God has called us to fight abortion in our town by loving this town with a true Christian love. Let me pray for us. Father, as we address a very difficult topic this morning, I first and foremost want to pray for those in the room who have been affected by abortion in any way. God, I pray that in this moment you would meet them in a way where you just help them to realize and feel your grace mercy, forgiveness, and love in a way that they've, they've never felt before. And that they now have a unique opportunity to take their experiences and their sorrow and minister to others. God, you are a God of redemption. Help us to never be a church that's all about shame. Shaming others, judging others. Help us to be a church that will speak truth in love, meaning we are willing to speak the truth, even if it's unpopular, but we are willing to lay down our lives to love people and introduce them to Christ. When it comes to this topic, God, when it comes to abortion, help us to be a church that loves so aggressively that abortion becomes unthinkable. Give us that heart, God. We love you, Lord, and we pray that as we finish this time in worship, that our souls would be restored and that you would be glorified. We ask these things in Jesus' name.